sinners lost and hopeless Jesus blood can make you free for he saved the worst among you when he saved a wretch like me and I know yes I know yes I know yes I know Jesus blood can make the vilest sinner clean and I know yes I know yes I know yes I know Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. To the faint, he giveth power. Through the mountains makes a way. Findeth water in the desert. Turns the night to golden day. Yes, I know. Yes, I know. Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. And I know. Yes, I know. Yes, I know. Yes, I know. Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. In temptation, he is near thee. Holds the power of hell at bay. Guides you to the path of safety. Gives you grace for every day. And I know. Yes, I know. Yes, I know. Yes, I know. Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. And I know, yes, I know, yes, I know, yes, I know. Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. He will keep thee while the ages roll throughout eternity. Though earth hinders and hell rages, all must work for good to thee. And I know, yes I know, yes I know, yes I know, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. And I know, yes I know, yes I know. Yes, I know. Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. Well, amen. We certainly enjoy that. We're glad that His blood makes the vilest sinner clean. Amen. amen. That means it covers us. Amen. <laughs> means it covers me. If he covers the vilest, then he covers me. Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. Amen? He's the chiefest of sinners. We were talking about that again this morning. And the moment we stop thinking we're the chief, then we automatically look at others as though they are. And then we got real problems, don't we? 
then we got real problems. Hebrews chapter 11 today. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. We're going to begin there. We started our series on biblical faith. It's just a three-week series, so this is the second of three. But um, <clears throat> we're going to continue that series today. We talked about biblical faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. There we read, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. You know, throughout the Bible, we are introduced to a number of amazing men and women who, of course, uh, accomplished some tremendous, some fantastic, some miraculous events in history with the power of God. You know, we can't help but remember Israel crossing the Red Sea, the hand of God eliminating that 185,000 Assyrians. We, we, we can't uh, <clears throat> face the Word of God. We can't consider it without thinking about how Peter was bound in prison but supernaturally released. How that, uh, I mean, how can one forget about Noah who believed God's Word and as a result of that for 120 years was in building an ark. I mean, building an ark. And the first drop of rain did not come till after that. Um, <clears throat> I think of Esther who placed herself in harm's way because she was confident and believed that God would deliver both her and the people of God from extinction. Throughout the Word of God, we are reminded of men and women who exercise tremendous faith in the Word of God and in the God of heaven. <clears throat> Biblical faith has changed the course of time. It has impacted countless lives and made a difference in the the, the, the communities and in the world in which we live. And last week we began our series, as I mentioned, on biblical faith. And we started out by examining biblical faith. And during the course of that message, we said that <clears throat> we noted the foundation of biblical faith. We said that the foundation was none other than the reality of God, that He is, and that He is real. <clears throat> we talked about the, the, the function of biblical faith. And we said that it provides us with a relationship with God. And finally, we noted the fruit of biblical faith. As we said that once we've uh, recognized the reality of God and we've entered into a relationship with God, we then experience the rest of God. And I don't mean rest as in the rest of the story. I mean rest as in comfort, relaxation, rest. <clears throat> and so we find that to be the case. And once we believe all of those things, once that has transpired, then of course we see the fruit of it all. But this week, we want to talk about another topic. Again, we're talking about biblical faith. And we went ahead and examined it. Now today, we want to talk about experiencing biblical faith. And I want to attack it or address it from three perspectives. One, finding biblical faith. Two, flourishing biblical faith. And finally, functioning biblical faith. And so, without further ado, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll continue with our service uh, this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather here today. And Lord, again, faith is imperative. It's so important. Without it, we can't please you. It's one thing, Lord, to go to church, it's, uh, uh, to, to read our Bible, to pray, to go through the motions, to do all the things that we know to do. But Lord, they, we may be doing that in the flesh. We may not even be doing that in the Spirit. We may not be doing that by faith. Oh, God, help us to do things by faith, realizing that, Lord, without faith, it's impossible to please you. Now, Father, again today, 
Speak to our hearts, work in our lives, and encourage us from the Word of God. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. May I be your mouthpiece. Oh, God, use the message to be a blessing and a help. And may we not only hear it, but may we apply it to our lives. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so first of all, we were talking about biblical faith, and we want to experience biblical faith. First of all, we have to address this issue of finding biblical faith, finding it. You know, I was walking down the street the other day, and I was feeling a, a bit hungry. I was just, uh, my stomach was growling a little bit, and, um, you know, I, I just, uh, I knew I needed something to eat, and lo and behold, I mean, it was amazing, lo and behold, I ran into a hot double cheeseburger, large fry, and a chocolate milkshake right there on the side of the road. It's just amazing. It's wonderful. Simply wonderful. I, I, I can't tell you. It was, it was unbelievable. And later, later that day, later that day, I was... I was at the store, and I was looking for something, of course, and uh, all of a sudden I realized, <laughs> about the time I went to purchase it, that I didn't have enough money to buy it. I just didn't have the money to do that. And so I started to put the item back, and, and, and lo and behold, attached to the hanger on the rack that I was hanging it back on was a $100 bill. Just sitting there. Now, none of us are ignorant enough to believe that food just materializes at our every whim. And, and nor does money appear out of nowhere. doesn't happen. I mean, when's the last time, you know, the Lord told you to go down and throw a hook in the, uh, uh, the, the lake and pull a fish out and open it and get some money out, like Peter did. doesn't happen like that these days. Now, if it does, let me know about it. I'll fish there too. But, but the fact is, is that we're not ignorant enough to believe that, that food just materializes at our every whim or money appears out of nowhere. The fact is, if you want some food, you gotta go to a restaurant. And if you need some money, you gotta go to a bank. And you know the same is true with biblical faith. You know that it doesn't simply fall out of heaven and it doesn't just come out of nowhere. Biblical faith doesn't just happen. The source of biblical faith is the Word of God. If you want food, go to a restaurant. You want money, go to a bank. But if you want faith, then you need to seek the Word of God. You need to go to the Word of God. If you want faith. I think of the Word, the Word of God. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. It says faith cometh by hearing. Hearing what? Well, the world has exercised faith, as we've said a number of times, uh, in a number of people, places, or things. I mean, you can place your faith in your family, your friends, and even your coworkers. Your faith can be rooted in a teacher. It can be rooted in a preacher. It can be rooted in a psychiatrist, a, a doctor, a counselor. It can be rooted in a mentor of sorts. Your faith can be in all of those or any of those. But biblical faith can only be directed toward God alone. So faith cometh by hearing. Hearing what? That's the real question. The Bible tells us hearing by the Word of God. By the Word of God. Biblical faith is found in the Word of God. That which we hold in our hand right here today. The King James Bible. There it is. Faith is held in your hand today if you hold a Bible in your hand. That's where faith is. The source of faith is. Someone says, I need more faith. What you're really saying is you need more of the Word of God. I need more of this book. I need more of His Word. I need to know Him better. That's what we're really saying. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So therefore, the Word of God, that's the source, true source of faith. I'm looking for faith, preacher. I need more faith. Okay? Where are you looking? 
Where are you looking? Well, I'm, uh, I'm kind of busy. I don't have time for church, and I don't have time to read my Bible and pray. Then you're really not looking for faith. You may want it, but you're not looking for it. You want money? Of course I want money. Well, what do you have to do to get it? Work. So what are you doing? I'm watching TV during the day. And I go to bed at night. So you're never going to have any money because you're not working. Guess what? If you never get in the Word of God, you're never going to have any faith. The Word. But then also there's that aspect of the will. We're talking about finding biblical faith. Finding it. The source of biblical faith is the Word of God. But the doorway to the heart of man is the will. That's the will. Um, I've got a bottle of water here. A bottle of water. And uh, it's, it's exactly what I need to hydrate this body of mine. To hydrate properly. Do you realize that the human body is more than 60% water? That the blood, your blood is 92% water. Your brain and muscles are 75% water. That the, the bones, the bones are only about 22, but they're pretty hard. Hey, water then is essential to good health and well-being, isn't it? At this point, I have exactly what I need. I have exactly what I need in this old body. Being over 60%. Some say a baby, when a baby's born, it's 78% water. You imagine that? Most people on average are around 66 to 68% water. Listen, I have what I need to hydrate properly. Here it is. But as long as that water remains in that bottle, it'll serve me no purpose at all. None. None at all. I've got to open my mouth, and I've got to allow that water to cross over my tongue and into my throat in order to gain the benefit of it. Hmm. <sighs> Whew, refreshing. The fact is, is that I've got to open my mouth, drink the water, I've got to allow it in. Got to let it in. Faith like that water has to be permitted in. And you know, we already know that the source of biblical faith is none other than this book, the Word of God. But remember that the doorway to the heart of man is the will. We have faith in, our, in the Word of God. Yes, we have faith literally in our hands today. But in order to get it into our heart, we've got to open up our mind and we've got to yield our will to it. We've got to invite faith into our hearts. A closed Bible or a closed heart will never bring us to biblical faith. It won't happen. We have to open up the Word of God. We have to open up our heart and let what we read and what we study, what we memorize, what we meditate on, literally to grip our hearts. Or there'll be no real faith. Every issue in our life is a faith problem. When it's all said and done, it's a faith problem. We struggle with problems every day of our life. But if there's a real struggle in the long run, it's because our faith isn't what it ought to be. Because the Bible says to fret not. The Bible says to worry not. The Bible tells us to be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. 
He talks about later about the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That doesn't happen unless we're exercising faith. And may I say faith is not found on a television set or in a book that we read or a self-help book. It's found in the Word of God. And until we get in the Word and allow the Word to get into us, we're not going to have the faith we need to face our problems in the way God intends us to. There's no problem bigger than our God, but there are a lot of problems bigger than us. And until we get in this book and the faith of God literally grips our heart, we're going to continue to struggle with life issues. And we'll continue to be disobedient because we will fret, worry about problems each and every day. God does not impose His will on a man. He won't make you have faith. He will not force you into His Word. He'll not require you and say, without doubt, you will be a man of faith. A woman of faith. He gives you the opportunity to choose. It is your choice. It's your choice to pick up a magazine or to pick up the word. It's your choice to go to church or to go to the bar. It's your choice to stay home or to go here. Do this. Do that. It's your decision. God gives you the right to make choices. And in Matthew 7, 7, the Bible says, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. That means you have to take initiative. Someone says, well, this is, it's all about the grace of God. And it is the grace of God. But there's a difference between grace and faith. And the fact is that grace is something you don't merit. You don't have anything to say about, say anything of. You just receive it, accept it. The very faith I have to be saved is from the Lord. I understand that. But I have to still yield my will to His Word. I have to allow Him into my life. I still have to call upon the name of the Lord. I still have to ask if I want it given. I still have to seek if I want it found. I still have to knock if I want it opened according to the Word of God. Matthew eleven twenty eight. the Lord Jesus still says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That means you have to yield your will and come to Him. You have to take yourself out of the picture and say, He's the only hope, the only help, the only solution. That's an exercising of faith. It's a choice. We make choices. So the finding, to find biblical faith, we're talking about finding it. First of all, we see the Word. It's The source is the Word of God. But then we ultimately understand and recognize the fact that we have to allow it in. So the doorway to the, to, to the heart is through the will. It's like there's a sentry posted at your heart today. And there he stands with his, his, his maybe a, I almost picture it with like a spear in his hand. Standing there, you know, at attention. And he's got maybe a, a sword in the other or a shield. And he stands at your heart's door today. And as long as he is erect, as long as he is standing there at attention, as long as he is on guard of your heart, nothing can enter in except that which you say, at ease. And he snaps to at ease and allows certain things to pass by. And may I say that you have to give authority to your heart, so to speak, to, your, to, to yield your will to the will of God, to allow the word of God in, to truly say, I must drink you and your word in. I cannot just stand and look at it. I've got to receive it. You make a decision to do so. I will accept This is truth. I will allow it in my life. I will place it on the throne of my life. I will give it first place instead of my own opinion, my own thoughts, my own likes, dislikes, and outlooks. Number two, not only do we consider or deal with finding biblical faith, but number two, flourishing biblical faith. Flourishing biblical faith. There are two sides to flourishing biblical faith. There's, the, there's a side of exercise, 
and experience itself. And again, our goal, obviously, today in our lessons is to experience biblical faith. We want to experience it. So we're getting to the place where we're going to try to understand how that transpires or how it takes place. And there are two sides, again, to this flourishing biblical faith, growing biblical faith, if you will. Exercise and experience. First of all, we think of exercise. Take your Bible, look at James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 17. A passage that throws people, concerns people, the devil uses to really distract people from grace and comfort and strength and peace of mind. James chapter 2 verse 17 through 18. The Bible says, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will shew thee my faith by my works. Now in James, the issue isn't primarily the existence of faith here. It's not the issue. It's the existence of faith is not the issue as much as it is the evidence of faith. And so we note the evidence of faith. The writer makes it perfectly clear that flourishing faith, growing faith, is a faith that is exercised. It's not just a faith we talk about, it's a faith we put into practice. It's a faith we exercise. Um, For muscles to flourish or to grow, there has to be exercise. They have to be exercised. Whether it's weights or whether it's just putting, you know, some kind of strain on them, there has to be exercise if we want muscles to grow. For a relationship to flourish, it has to be exercised. There's steps that must be taken. There's time that must be spent. There is merit in, 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 in exercise. Now, we know that bodily prof, uh, exercise profiteth little, the Bible says. And it seems today in Christianity, most of us are exercising that. You didn't get it, did you? But anyway, moving on. You're not even really listening to me today, are you? <laughs> You're right, preacher, I don't ever exercise because it profits so little. Okay, that's what I was getting at, but anyway... All right, so nonetheless, <laughs> we'll move on. Um, <laughs> the faith that we read about in the Bible, faith that we read about in the Word of God, is a faith that's practiced regularly, isn't it? I mean, when you really you read the lives of men and women in the Word of God, you can tell that they were practicing their faith on a regular, consistent basis. I mean, the greatest saints are seen exercising their faith consciously, consistently, on a regular basis. If you want or desire flourishing faith, a growing faith, you're going to have to exercise it consistently. Not just from time to time, but on a regular basis. You know what? We're good about getting fired up about something and going at it a while. I mean, we just got through the New Year's and a number of people, not so many these days as much as it was maybe when I was young, but it seemed that when I was younger, everybody had a New Year's resolution. Everybody was putting something on the calendar. I'm going to start working out as of January 1st. I'm going to start eating differently. I'm going to start being a better dad. I'm going to start being a better child. I'm going to start being a better worker. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And then, boy, we made these New Year's resolutions. It was such a big deal in the day. I don't know if it's so much nowadays because people really just have no desire to do anything, but the fact is is that... Am I, am I telling the truth now? 
I'm telling the truth. There's no real motivation to do anything these days except sit in front of a television and let somebody tell you what to think. But anyway, the fact is, is that um, I felt a kink right there. I felt a kink right there. Somebody got offended. But anyway, uh, the, the fact is, is that uh, the truth is there's some motivation. So I'm going to do something. I'm going to change some things. I'm going to make a resolution. And about two weeks, a month later, what happened? seems that that kind of slips by the wayside. Matter of fact, if you go to most of these gyms and things around the area and you ask them, did your membership increase in the month of January? They'd say, oh yeah, we had a number of increase, a number of people joining our gym. But listen, come the end of March, go back and say, how many of those that joined are really faithful and consistent to this day? You'll find there's a number of people that aren't. Why? Because that's the nature of man. We get fired up for something and then we don't continue to follow through with it. And you know what? In, that's the case with biblical faith. You want growing faith. You want flourishing faith. It's not something you're going to do for a month or for two months or three months. It's something you have to do on a continual basis. You have to exercise it regularly, consistently. When we speak of biblical faith, we're speaking of a faith directed toward God again. When a person exercises faith in God, he or she is basically saying this. They're saying, I believe that he is and that he's capable and careful to protect, provide, to prosper those whose faith is directed toward him. I believe he can do that for me. I'm confident he can do that for me. And when we have that kind of confidence, it affects a few basic areas in our life. It affects our priorities. All of a sudden, certain things are more important than they used to be. Or things that were important aren't as important as they used to be. Our priorities change. When we're exercising our faith consistently, when we're growing in faith, then all of a sudden it affects our priorities. The order of importance changes in our lives. Also, it affects our practice. When we're truly exercising our faith, when we really can say, God, I believe that you are. I believe that you exist. I know that you're powerful enough to meet my every need, to provide for me, to protect me, to prosper me. I know that. Then all of a sudden, not only does it change my priorities, but it also changes my practice. And now I'm living for God. I'm doing some things differently because I trust God now to, to, to follow through with his word and to make good on his promises. Not only that, but it affects our perspective. All of a sudden, the world and how we view it changes. All of a sudden, certain things that used to be so important to us aren't as important because our perspective is changing. Our outlook is changing. Why? Because we're exercising biblical faith. And all of a sudden, when we read the Word of God and God says, listen, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Is the love of the, Father, the, love of the world is in your heart, then the love of the Father is not. My, oh God, I want to love you. Oh God, I don't want to love this world. Oh, help me, Father. Change how I see things. It affects our outlook. It affects our perspective. We wonder why the world and the Christian today in churches, it seems like we just kind of walk step side by side almost. We feel the same way about drinking. We feel the same way about smoking. We feel the same way about, about living. We feel the same way about immorality. You can't say that it's wrong to live together before you're married. That's not right. It says in the Word of God it's wrong. Your perspective is not what it ought to be because you're not a man or woman of faith as you ought to be. If your faith is truly growing, your perspective will change. Your attitude will change. Your outlook will change. That's just the way it is. You say, well, you know, you have to be able to receive and accept homosexuals into the church now because it's a different age. It's a different time. They have to be able to be leaders in the church, even pastoring churches today. No big deal. Wait, it's still an abomination according to the Word of God. I mean, we can't change how we, we see things God's way when we're truly growing in faith. 
And then we look at sin and we see things in television and we see things on billboards and we recognize that that's not the trend, that's not the direction we ought to be going. Whether it be our finances or whether it be our, our bodies or whether it be our morality, we have to change some things. Why? Because what we used to think being good and all right and acceptable is no longer right, good or acceptable because we're now growing in faith. And we see things God's way, not our way, not the world's way, not mom and dad's way, but God's way. experiencing things you say how do we do that you have to first exercise it will never grow unless we exercise it and do what god says we ought to do i mean we have to place god first we have to obey his word we have to view the world and life through his eyes we embrace the proper priorities we implement biblical practice we maintain godly perspective that's exercising faith then once you've exercised faith then and only then can you experience it? It's not until you exercise biblical faith that you truly experience it. It's funny to me. We sit and worry about our finances 24-7. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to have to do this. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm so worried. I'm so out of my mind. Guess what you're not experiencing? Faith. You've read it. You're going, I know I shouldn't be worrying, but you know what? It's just natural. That's just the way we are as humans. You've just excused your sin. You know why? Because you're not exercising faith. That's why you're a mess. That's why you're all burdened. That's why you're so beat down by the world and your circumstances. Because no faith. There's no faith. Somebody says, but I go to church. No faith. But I, I, I teach Sunday school. No faith. At least not in that area for sure. I mean, here we are, people of God, going through the motions so many times, doing everything we're supposed to do, but not with the right attitude and outlook. We're not following God. We're really not exercising faith. And as a result of that, we don't experience it. Because real faith, exercised and experienced, brings nothing but peace in our life. God's not the author of confusion, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Why are we so confused all the time? Why are we so troubled all the time? Maybe because we're really not exercising our faith, and as a result, we're not really experiencing it. David exercised biblical faith, didn't he? You know what he experienced? Victory. Noah exercised biblical faith. He experienced deliverance. Zacchaeus exercised biblical faith. He experienced joy. Abraham exercised biblical faith. He experienced salvation. The key to experiencing all that a flourishing, growing, and vibrant faith allows is to exercise your faith. If we'll exercise our faith by aligning our priorities with God, obeying His Word, and possessing a Christ-like perspective, then we're going to experience joy, peace, and purpose. I'm not saying that's easy to do. I'm not saying in the day and age in which we live with information abounding, every time we turn around someone's telling us why we should be afraid, why we should be scared, why we should be cautious, why we should be concerned. It's not easy to exercise biblical faith that says, I know there's a God in heaven and He's big enough to protect me. He's big enough to prosper me. He's big enough to provide for me. He's able to do all things exceedingly abundantly above all that I ask or think. That's not easy to do. But I'll guarantee you this. If I walked into a dark alley today and, and, and I had... And, and, and I had Shaquille O'Neal, seven foot three, all 320 pounds of him, 
And some dude about 190 pounds stepped up to the plate and said, I'm going to kick your guys' butts. I'd be like, do it, boy. Big boy, have at it. Excuse me, Shaq, jump on that. I mean, 320 pounds, seven foot three, seven foot two, jumping on him. I'm telling you right now, one arm across the noggin. His head goes rolling. I mean, are you kidding me? I wouldn't be afraid. I wouldn't be afraid. I walk into the fifth and sixth grade classroom with Mr. Weiser. And one of the boys says, I don't like you, preacher. I'm going to hurt you. And I think, first of all, you probably couldn't hurt me, but Mr. Weiser. Mr. Weiser goes, I'm not concerned about this problem because the one with me is a lot bigger than the problem facing me. And you know what? Why we worry about things so often is because our problems are so big in our eyes because our faith is so weak that God is little. Finally, last but not least, functioning biblical faith. Functioning biblical faith. We've already noted we want to experience biblical faith. We said, first of all, that we have to finding biblical faith. That's what we dressed. Then we said flourishing biblical faith. Finally, functioning. While in the military in Germany, I tell you a lot of stories about that because that was a big part of my life for about three years active, six years National Guard, nine years of my life. That's a lot when you're only like 35. And, and it's really, it's still a lot when you're 50 or so. But anyway, you thought I was implying I was 35. You just didn't let me finish, did you? But anyway, um, while in the military in Germany, our, uh, our unit was required to, you know, participate in some war games that they called um, reforgers. They would have winter reforges, they'd have fall reforges, just different things like that. Well, nonetheless, no more than usually two a year. But we primarily were, I only did one winter and I did a couple of the summer ones or the fall ones or whatever. And uh, we were required to be a part of that. Now, I was part of a communications platoon. And uh, the communications platoon would utilize a, a number of means by which to establish communication between different parts of our unit, different people, obviously, that we had to communicate with. And in those days... We ran a lot of hard wire, a lot of wire. You, you actually ran wire. You know, you have a, a vehicle and you'd, you'd take a big spool of wire and you just run it off that. And I mean, you go for miles running wire, running wire. Then you'd hook up phones to it. Phone. So it was basically phone line. And that's how they communicated. Now, you had, look, don't look at me like that. Yes, we had radios, okay? We weren't that backwards, all right? You know, we weren't like sending pigeons or anything. But, but the fact is, is that we had to run line, okay? So we ran that line, and we ran. I remember this one stretch. The guys had run it. I wasn't doing it. I was driving for a lieutenant at the time. I, I, I had just taken him everywhere. And so I got in on a lot of things, had a good time with that. But, but I remember they ran about 10 miles of line. I watched them run some of it, and uh, things were going fine for a while. And then after about five or six days out in the field, they started getting to where there was a lot of static on the line. They couldn't hear each other through the static. And so they, they, they said, you know, the lieutenant said, come on, we're going to go out with them. I want to see what the progress is. And so we kind of followed them along. And they started testing line every mile or so, you know, here and then here and here and here, making sure it was clear up to that point. And finally, they, they kind of found the one area. It was about a mile stretch, a half mile stretch, really. We kind of narrowed it down pretty much to a quarter mile eventually. And then we said, now this is where the problem is. So what we did was we started going through. They, they took it and they started following that line, literally holding it in their hand and following it along, walking along with it, walking along with it, walking along with it after they narrowed it down to a couple hundred yards. And pretty soon, you know what they found? They found that there was a breach 
and that, that coating that's, that seals that wire inside. You know, like a phone line or a phone, uh, phone line, you, you, there's that little bit of like uh, rubber stuff on the outside. Well, that had just cracked. Something had happened. I don't know why. Maybe it got caught between rocks. Maybe they pulled it and it snagged. I'm not sure. But there was a little crack in there, and water had started seeping into that line. And as a result of that, it compromised the integrity of that line. And now, all of a sudden, it wasn't, being very, it wasn't very effective. You couldn't really use it. It was not functioning as it was intended to function. It virtually became useless to us because it wasn't fulfilling the purpose that was intended. And you want to know something? When we think about faith, biblical faith, it has a function. Even as that line had a function to maintain communication, to to fulfill the communication requirements of our, our regiment, all of those things. It had a purpose for existing. The fact is, is biblical faith has a function, a purpose for existing. And unless it's functioning as it was designed to do, it serves no purpose. So what is the purpose of biblical faith then? Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. Turn there if you would please. We're almost done really. We're just going to move quickly here. We just have a few more moments. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, we run into a wonderful passage referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, for by Him. And if you go back in the passage, you understand it's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. For by Him were all things created. Do you know that, that Jesus Christ is the God of Genesis 1-1? Amen. That, that when it says, in the beginning, God created, He's talking about Christ. We see that in the Word of God. Now, there are some that will tell you that's impossible. It doesn't make any sense. Well, guess what? Uh, there's a lot of things God does that are impossible and make no sense to us. Amen. But He's God. So, you know what? He says He does it. I believe it. Well, here we have a situation where the Lord Jesus Christ is being spoken of, and He says in the passage, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. That means everything. All things were created by Him. And what? For Him. Well, we're getting to the purpose real quick of what biblical faith is all about then. We go on in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God then. Everything was made for him, uh, by Him and for Him. Therefore, everything we do ought to ultimately exalt, magnify, and glorify Him. Philippians 2.13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. A functioning biblical faith will always do a couple of things. Number one, it's going to always point men to Jesus Christ. A functional biblical faith will also always bring glory and honor to God. That's what it does. That's a functioning biblical faith. You say, well, I have faith. I have biblical faith. Well, is it functioning then? Because if it's truly functioning the way God intended it to function, it's going to bring glory and honor to Him, and it's also going to cause others to be drawn to Him and be saved as a result. The Bible says in Psalm 40, verse 3, the psalmist, And He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. See, a functioning biblical faith is something that is seen. Why? Because it's being exercised. And then it's being experienced in your life. Therefore, you have a peace and a purpose. And you have a power that exists that the world does not understand. 
and they see that, they experience that in your life, and they say, man, that's amazing. Therefore, God must truly exist in order for them to be so affected. And God is worthy of my love and my gratitude and my faith because I see what God's done in their life. Again, a functioning biblical faith will always direct and reflect glory toward the Creator and not the creature. Always. You know, when we're doing things that draw attention to ourselves on purpose. Now listen, I don't care what you say. You say whatever you want. But I'm drawing attention up here. You can say, ah, look at that preacher. All he cares about is everybody's got his eyes on him. Absolutely. Right now, your eyes need to be on me. Absolutely. But my goal is not to glorify self. My goal is to ultimately point you to him. Now, wait a second. You can't help but be the center of attention when you're standing in front of a group of people like this. Well, you could. I mean, there could be some distractions out there, and they become the center of attention. That's why you shouldn't get up during the altar call and leave the service because you're a distraction. Now you've taken people's eyes off of God and you put them on you. That's why you shouldn't get up running around the service unless it's absolute emergency, unless it's necessary, because it it takes attention off of the real purpose of the service and puts it on you. That's, that's, that's why we do what we do with our nurseries, so that we don't have distractions. Listen, there, there are things that keep people from focusing. I don't want anything to take people away from Him. Now listen, that's true here. That's true here. That ought to be true out there. Everything we do in biblical faith is a function that ultimately draws people or points people to Him and ultimately helps people come to Christ. That's the function of it. You say, I have a biblical faith, a functioning biblical faith, then I'm sure there are people that are watching your life and their faith is increasing and they're finding a need to draw nigh to God because of our faith. Because that's when it's functioning. We've experienced, we are exercising it, we are experiencing it, and as a result, others are being drawn to Him. That's functioning now. So we note, first of all, finding biblical faith. We've considered that. We've looked at that. And that's the first step. But after you find it, you've got to grow. And you grow by exercising it. And then once you've found it and you begin to flourish or grow in your, your lives, then you need to see it functioning. Which means people around you will recognize that God is God. And that they need Him as Savior and Lord. So let me ask you, do you have a functioning faith today? A functioning faith. Is your faith pointing others to Jesus Christ? Do you have a flourishing faith? Is it growing consistently? Is it growing? Every day. Every week. Every month. Every year. And finally... Have you even found the faith? Have you found it? It begins right there with finding it. See, the source of biblical faith, as we said, is the Word of God. But the doorway to the heart of man is the will. So here's the bottom line. It's your choice today whether you find faith. Here it is. Will you allow it in? Will you allow Him in? It's a a decision. It's a choice. And will you exercise biblical faith and be saved then? Will you exercise faith and experience biblical faith as God intended? That's the bottom line today. All of those things. Are you saved? Do you know Christ? Have you found 
Biblical faith. If you haven't, you need to get saved today. You need to trust Him. You need to receive Christ. You need to come to Him, as the Bible says. And then you need to work on your faith growing so that it will function as God intended. Father, we come to You. Help us, Lord, today. We know, Father, that we're all in different areas of our life. 